Parashat Shoftim, as its name signifies, tells us about the dinim of the judges. The rules of how one is to judge, it's not just based on assumptions, it's not just based on circumstantial evidence, and there's a din of Tzedek Tzedek Tzedek, that the judge is meant to pursue what's just, clarify the truth, and ensure that that's what happens. That's what's uh, carried out. We know, and it's also brought in the Midrash, that this din isn't specific to somebody who's acting in the capacity of a formal judge. We know that this din applies to every person. Tzedek 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 the Midrash tells us, also applies to the importance of being done the kapschus, which means judging other people favorably. And that applies to everybody. Even somebody who isn't officially acting as a judge, not sitting on a court bench, but he notices other people, he sees what they do, and he has to, so to speak, in his own mind, decide, think about uh, how to weigh up, how to consider with what perspective to view what other people are doing. And we therefore there's a principle of being done somebody the kafskos. Now, being done the kafskos doesn't just mean, as maybe sometimes I would say misunderstood, as giving people the benefit of the debt. Rather, it's being done, it's judging somebody. But it's judging somebody in a way which is the kafskos, in a way which is favorable. Let's look at a famous Gemara in Shabbos and Afkuf Chavzayin, Amad Beis. When the Gemara gives us the famous story of the importance of judging the Kafschus, to try and understand this concept better. And the Gemara that tells us about somebody who was working for a wealthy landowner for three years. And at the end of three years, an Erev Yom Kippur, he says to his employer, he says, I want to go home to my wife and my children. Please pay me my salary. And the landowner says to him, I have no money to give you. So he says, well, they give me animals. I see a flux of animals. They're with no animals. Give me property. I have no property. Give me fruits. I have no fruits. Give me clothing. Give me... I have nothing to give you. Okay. There's nothing to give him. The worker packs his bags. And he makes his lower his way on, sadly. Because after three years, his wife, his children are expecting him to come back with something for them to eat, something, some profit. They've been separated for such a long time, and he comes home empty-handed. The Gemara says after Sukkot, the landowner loads up three donkeys with food, with drink, with various delicacies, and he comes to where his former employee lives, and he brings him the money that he owes him. And he brings out all the food, and they eat together. And he asks his employee, and he says to him, when you ask me to pay you, and I said, I don't have money. What did you think? And the employee said, I thought that maybe you don't have the money. You invested it in a business. And when I said I had no property, maybe you have a sharecrop. And I said I had no animals, maybe they hired out. And when I said I have nothing, there's nothing to pay with. And you looked around and you saw I had a home full of full of possessions. And you saw I have crops. And you saw I have animals. What did you think then? So the worker says to him, that I thought maybe you had been maktish everything the Shemai. You had made a vow, a promise to give all your possessions to the Besamekdash. And even if it's, I see so much, 
so to speak, that you have, it doesn't really belong to you. The landowner jumps up and he says, I make a prashwa, that's exactly what happened. He says, my son Hercules didn't want to learn Torah, and therefore I dedicated all my possessions to, Ash- to the Mesamekdash. And now I went to be matir Maneda to annul the vow, and now I can pay you your money. And he concludes with the line, and just like you judged me the Kafschos, Hashem should judge you the Kafschos as well. It's a very well-known story, it's a very beautiful story. It's a very difficult story to understand. I have two questions on the story, I'd like to ask, what would your rabbi say? What do you think, what, do you, what would you think? My first question on the story is, the worker was looking for a way to justify what the landowner did. And the justification he could come up with was, Maybe he decided that he's going to dedicate everything he has to Shemai. Now I'm asking you a question. The landowner knows that he has a work. He knows this man has been working faithfully for him for three years. How can you responsibly give away everything you owe, make a nether to Shemai, whatever it's going to be, and not make provision to pay your debts? If you have a worker, then there's a mitzvah that I said, you have to You have to pay a person their due. You have to make good a salary. And you're going to be matish all your nechosim. You're going to consecrate everything you have to the best of so that now you're penniless. How can you do that? You have debts. You have somebody you have to pay. Why would that be being done in the Kafschus? Why would that be looking favorably at what the landowner did? The landowner is doing something wrong. It's no different if a person has debts to pay and he says, you know, I'm going to give all my money to the stocker. The person can say, you're not meant to do that. You have a, you're obligated to other people, you have to pay your debts first. So why would that be considered a kafskos, a favorable way of judging the landowner? That's my first question. But I have a second question. And the second question disturbs me even more. The final line of the Gemara, the last, so to speak, sentence in the discussion, which is most famous, just like you judged me favorably, so too Hashem should judge you favorably. And I don't know what that means. The worker didn't know what the intention of the Balabais was. He didn't understand why the Balabais wasn't paying him. So he started to think what could have been the case. Maybe. Maybe he, maybe he doesn't have money. Maybe he's rented out his property. Maybe he was Mahdish as Nechosim. Could be, I don't know. And in the case of doubt, then I can assume. Maybe I'll get, I can think of a positive explanation. When Hashem is judging us, there's no doubt whatsoever. When Hashem is judging us, He knows exactly what we did. He knows exactly why we did it. He knows exactly what we were thinking. And if that's the case, what does it mean that Hashem is going to judge somebody that comes to us? Where's the element of doubt that Hashem has to, so to speak, assume a person meant one thing when he's not sure? Hashem knows exactly what a person does, and why he does it, and what he's thinking. So what does it mean, that Hashem should judge you favorably as well? I didn't see too many Farshim who address these questions, so I'd like to suggest an explanation. But to do that, I want to go back to where we began 
and emphasizing that a dana kafskos doesn't mean, in the case of doubt, give someone the benefit of the doubt. To be dana kafskos means that when I'm judging somebody, so then there's a way to judge somebody. And the op- one of the options of how to judge somebody is the kafskos. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's look, like we said beforehand, at the denim of judges. Those people who really are acting in the capacity of judges, they ju- they're sitting as the dayonim in a court case in a din Torah, which halachos apply to them? So we find a number of halachos, but I want to focus on three. The first one is, in order to judge a case, we have to be completely convinced of the details of what happened. We can't rely on circumstantial evidence, we can't rely on what we assume happened. We have to have evidence, and the evidence has to be airtight. It has to be completely reliable. And if you have any questions regarding the validity of the witnesses, or the accuracy of what they were saying, so then we can't accept it as evidence. The evidence has to be that it's completely clear to us, without any shadow of a doubt what happened. And all the details have to be clear as well. And we learn from a passage later on in this week's parasha, that says, You have to examine the witnesses well, you have to clarify every detail. That's the first requirement to judge. The second, you have to hear both sides of the story. Both men have to stand in front of the judge, and from that we learn that a judge can't hear one side of the story, and then make a decision. Even if the facts are clear, even if the one litigant will bring evidence to what he's saying, you can't judge without hearing both positions. You're not allowed to pass it unless you've heard both parties speak, and at the same time. That's the second rule in judging. And then there's a third rule also. And that is, it says, The third rule in judging is, that we have to think of what could be an explanation for what happened, which would lessen the burden of guilt of the defendant. And that's how Vitsilo so to speak, the judges, have to look from the point of view of, how can we view with the evidence that we have, how can we see the situation which happened, as a way which is less incriminating. And will therefore mitigate verdicts against the defendant. Those are then in which are all Paschal and Christian Mishpat. They're all part of what one needs in order to be able to judge. And now Rabbi said, what I want to say, is when you see somebody do something, act a certain way, whatever it's going to be, you might not formally be a Dayan, but if you're going to judge the other person, based on what you saw them do, based on what you heard them say, so on that, you have to judge somebody with the same rules of Dayanim. If you're now in a position where you're looking to judge somebody, to weigh up how you consider them, based on what they did, so at the very least, you have to look at it the way a Dayan would. Which means, number one, you have to ascertain you have all the facts. You have to know exactly what happened, and exactly what happened before that, and with clarity, on all the details. Seeing just one scene, so to speak, without being aware of everything else which was involved, doesn't entitle you to be able to judge. You don't know all the details involved. So that's the first point. Like a judge, a person first has to clarify all the relevant facts. And if I don't have all the facts, I don't know exactly what happened, so then I'm not in a position to 
judge. The second point, just like a judge has to hear the prosecution, he has to hear the argument for the defense. If you're going to judge somebody in your own mind, you can't just jump to conclusions because you're prosecuting them and looking what they did wrong. If you're going to judge somebody, then you have to be willing to hear both sides too. And being as this isn't a courtroom where you have one person who's the prosecutor and somebody else is a defendant, it's really inside your own mind. You have to look at it from both sides. You have to hear it from the point of view of the prosecution, and you have to also hear it from the point of view of the defense. If I would ask this person why he did what he did, what would he say to me? Maybe he has a reason. Maybe he has an explanation. And without hearing what could be, so to speak, the second point of view, the angle that the defense would take in justifying what was done, so that I can't judge. And the last point, and that is even if I have all the facts, and even if I would hear the arguments for and against, there's the last thing of the judges as well. Vihitsilo ha'edo. Vihitsilo ha'edo means that having established exactly what happened, there's still room, there's still room to lessen the severity of what the person did. How? Because, and this is a third rule in the rules of judges, when we have witnesses, it's not enough just that the witnesses tell us what happened. There's a den of hasra, which means the witnesses have to say that we warned him just before he did it about how severe what he's going to do is and what the penalty is going to be. And if they don't have that, then even if it's completely clear to us what the person did, we still can't punish him. Why? Because maybe he didn't realize what he was doing or how severe it was. And even if we have the facts, and if we don't have a good defense to justify what he did, but maybe he wasn't aware of how severe what he was doing was. And therefore, when we come to look at an action somebody else does, when we think about what someone else said, we have to go through all three steps as well. We have to judge the way a Dayanim would judge. Number one, we have to know we have all the details, all the facts. Number two, we have to hear what that side of the defense would be. We can't just look at it from a critical angle and decide that that's what happened. We have to be willing to hear both sides. What would be the other way of looking at it? And number three, even if the facts are clear to us and we have no justification, but there's always the possibility it wasn't intended. It wasn't intended the way that it happened. The person wasn't aware of what was going to happen because of what he did. You have to always take into account the Vitsido Eta. Without Asra, maybe the person wasn't fully expecting the results which came out. Let's give an example. A person says something, something hurtful, something offensive. And I'm condemned to the conclusion he's just a cruel person. He has no feelings. He doesn't care about me. He was trying to cause me suffering. That wouldn't be judging the way a judge would judge. Judging the Kafsus would be first take everything into context. Maybe what you heard wasn't in the bigger picture of what he was trying to say. Number two, even if it's clear to you that what you heard was what he said, but you hear it from the side of the defense. What made him say it? Why did he say it? And number three, even if I don't have a good explanation for him, maybe he wasn't aware that there was something which I would take offense to. Maybe it wasn't what he intended. Maybe there was some other reason that there would be for a person to say such a thing. And therefore, it's not just giving the benefit of the doubt. There's a process of judging, 
And we have to apply the same process of judging when we're judging someone else, even if we aren't acting as a day. That's tzedek, tzedek, tzedek. We can't assume. We can't hear one side and make conclusions. And we also have to take into account that maybe what, we, what, what the result wasn't the intention. So now with that introduction, let's go back to the Gemara again. With one last fascinating detail to the story. You know, the Gemara by us just brings it as a landowner and a worker. It doesn't identify them. But there's a shelter which brings the same Asa. And the shelters in Pashishmos, he says that the landowner in question was Rabbi Eliezer. And the worker was Rabbi Akiva. It's unfortunate we should discuss how, when this story could have happened. Was it at a time before Rabbi Akiva started learning Torah and married Rachel? Was it after that? On the one hand, the worker says in the story, I need the money for my salary to go and pay my wife and my children. So it seems he's already married and the children at that stage. On the other hand, it seems that there was still a stage where he was acting as a worker before he went to learn full time. But we know that that was the identity of the people involved. It was uh, Rabbi Akiva working for Rabbi Eliezer. And now, Rabbi, I want to share with you a fascinating idea. I found the Mishnah in the Dariam at the beginning of the ninth parak. And the Mishnah there is talking about in what circumstances a person is allowed to annul a nether that they made. What's considered a justifiable reason to matter a nether? And in that Mishnah, there's a Machlokas. And the Machlokas revolves around is a person allowed to be matir a neder benoyot? Which means, if at the time a person made a neder, the circumstances are as they were now, he wanted a neder. But there would later be some, some new factor, which as a result of that he would want to annul the neder. Could some new factor which comes into play be a reason to annul a neder or not? In other words, on the one hand, there's an opinion that helps we can be material benoilat, which means even if the for reason I want to master the nether only began now and wasn't there at the time that I made the nether, I can say now that's justifiable reason to annul nether. And the second on side of the Gemara is if you ain't material benoilat. So, for example, the Gemara gives an, an example of this, and the Gemara's example is if a person says, I mean, kainam. And that's a lot into Gehano or Gehano to a certain person. And now at the later stage, that person becomes a Sofa, and now I need him. I need new perfect and Or that person becomes a Chos, and I want to participate in his wedding. So is that new circumstance enough of a reason to be matter the Nether or not? That's the argument in the Gemara. And on that, the Mishnah tells us, Rabbi Niazah holds that you post him If there will be some new reason which will come arise, and because that I would want to matter and nether, that's a good enough reason to be matter and nether. And Chachamim argue, and Chachamim say, hey, matter and If that's the case, so let's go back to the question we asked. We asked, the worker was trying to judge his employer, Lekavskos. And he said, maybe he can't pay me anything, even though he owes me my wages, because maybe he hasn't made a nether to act to make all these things awesome, and as a result, there's nothing available for him to give me. And we ask the question, why is that something one person is allowed to do? 
if a person has debts, he has to make sure to pay his debts. What right do you have to make a nether and render all your things kachim in a situation when then the people are money to? And the answer is that for Abeliezer there was nothing wrong with it. Why? Because Abeliezer is the opinion who holds himself a person of And if we post him Benayla, then when they, even if he makes a nether to make all these things Kodesh, if there would later on arise a circumstance that he would need to be matter his nether in order to make use of his money, he would be allowed to do that. So why didn't he do that? When Rabbi Akiva the worker came, and Rabbi Akiva said, I want to be paid. So why didn't Rabbi Akiva immediately be matter his nether and pay Rabbi Akiva what he owed him? And the answer is because we know, interesting service tells us, that Rabbi Akiva held ain't question benayat. Rabbi Akiva argues. And if that's the case, even if Rabbi Akiva for himself didn't feel he was doing wrong by making such a nether because he knew that whenever I need to be a matter my nether I can, but Rabbi Akiva, the shitosko, that's not called a good hetzer. So you're not allowed to make use of my, my property. For you, this isn't a good enough hetzer. And that's why the Gemara says that the landowner said I had to wait until I could go to the other Tamil Chachamim and find a different way to be matter than nether before he could pay. That's a Chiddush. But with this Chiddush, I want to explain it inside. That's why this is considered being done in the Kafsos. Because Rabbi Yudha from his Rabbi Akiva from his perspective could have thought Rabbi Yudha is doing the wrong thing. He owes me money and he goes and he makes all these things Kodesh and now he can, no one can get benefit from it. That's not the right thing to do when you have debts to pay, when the workers are relying on you to feed their families. So where was the Dan Lekavskos? The Dan Lekavskos was, I could see things from Rabbi Yudha's point of view. From Rabbi Yudha's point of view he did nothing wrong. Because according to Rabbi Yudha I'm allowed to imagine this letter whenever I want. And even though Rabbi Akiva would think to himself, I don't agree with that. I hold this the net, you can't be matter. But on the other hand, I understand that this is what he thinks, and therefore from his point of view, he did nothing wrong. If that's the case, then perhaps we can suggest an answer to our other question as well. We ask the question, what does it mean Hashem should be done somebody that comes to us? Hashem has no doubt. Hashem knows exactly what the person did and why they did it. And the answer is, the same you said. The answer is that of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has no question why the person did it and why they did it. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu can either judge a person based on what's really right, what's the MS, and as far as Hashem is concerned, or HaKadosh Baruch Hu can choose to judge a person taking into account what that person was thinking. So maybe it was wrong. But he wasn't thinking he was doing something wrong. He thought it wouldn't come out the way it did. He had some other reason why he did what he did. Like we said, to retell our Adam means that you take into consideration what was that person thinking. Maybe he had some other cheshman. Maybe he had some other reason why he did. It wasn't completely bad. That's also the kafskos. The kafskos means to look to find a way to lessen the severity of what the person did. And that we can dive into Hashem for as well. Because Ta Yisrael aren't assumed to be in the category of people who are trying to do what's wrong. We make mistakes. But sometimes we really thought we were doing the right thing and it didn't work out the way we wanted. Sometimes we didn't realize it was going to happen until we found we were already in Nechshah. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu were willing to judge us from our perspective, so then it's going to be much less Chomur, so to speak, 
then if Hashem is judging us based on the perspective of just what what why, why did we do and what was the right what was what would have been the right thing to do. And that's what Rabbi Eliezer says to Rabbi Yehuda. He says, just like you had done me the kaf's chus, which means you could judge me the shaitos, how I understand, and even if you don't agree, but you can understand from my point of view I did nothing wrong, because the Baruch Hu judge you the same way. I'd like to add one last postscript to this idea. We find the Mephoshim, the Masalevi, the Chachaz Chaim and others, they quote the Chazal. And the Chazal says that Avakoyin Barzalo used to cry. And he used to say, Oy lana miyay madin. Oy lana miyay madin. Why? What's so scary? What's so terrible about the day of judgment? About the day where Hashem is going to rebuke us? The Rakadish Baruch Hu is dan kol echod ve'echod lefi ma'ashehu. Hashem will judge each person based on what he is. What does that mean? So the way that the Bessalevi and Chavetz Chaim explain it is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will judge a person they would literally toss Based on what you yourself did, how do you explain how you did that? You were the person who always ran out of shackles because you were in so much of a rush to go to work. So how could it be you'd meet, meet a friend outside Shul and talk, in five, talk to him for five minutes? Which means there's a female who there's an internal contradiction in what you do. Why is that something to be afraid of by the Yamadi? And the answer is because if Hashem is prepared to judge someone with a kafschus, which means lishitasa. The way the fear what you understood will judge you that way. But if that's the case, if there's an internal contradiction in what a person is doing, so then he has no justification. You yourself didn't felt you weren't doing the right thing. You yourself didn't hold of what happened. If that's the case, there isn't that kafschus. There isn't that side of looking at somebody from his point of view and seeing what he did. And if that's the case, then there's not a reason to be afraid. But besides for that, we have the rule of the Pasha. To make yourself judges, not just the people who are appointed to sit in the courtroom, but rather to make you, when you become a judge of someone else, when you're looking to see what they did. So act as a judge should act. Firstly, make sure you have evidence, you have all the facts clear. Don't jump to conclusions. Secondly, don't render judgment without having first heard the argument of the defense. And if there isn't a person representing the defendant, at least for myself, I have to look from his, from his point of view. And lastly, even if I can't do either of those things, there's a vehicular aida. And that is, from the way you look at it, that something's bad. Maybe from their perspective it's different. Maybe from his way of looking at it, it's not as bad as you're thinking of it. And then judge him to see what he was thinking. To see his standards. To see his opinion. And then that's what we can say about ourselves as well. That just if we are, if we are done out of the cup's force, Hapaka Makadish Baruch will judge us the cup's force as well.